Welcome to the Reconciliation Conversation. We want this podcast to be a space where we can expose hate, encourage love, equip for healthy reconciliation, and emphasize unity so that all people can know their value together as one. Welcome to another episode of the Reconciliation Conversation. We are excited about our guests today. We have the pleasure of having a, a hip-hop artist, social activist on the pod. Uh, this brother, he's a husband, a father, and currently is living in inner city of Miami, Florida, where he has committed his time to community renewal, social justice, and, and mentoring the youth. This guy not only challenges our views on faith and race in America, but he also is an advocate for, for juvenile justice, and he serves on the Miami Circuit Advisory Board. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Reconcile. What's up, my guy? What's up, my G? How you living? Man, yeah. trying to take it easy, bro. In the midst of COVID <laughs> and everything else, man, we, we trying to live, bro. <laughs> but man, listen, we want to jump right in. We want to respect your time. And the reality is, man, we're, we're in a crazy cultural moment right now. You know, as, as, as black men with, with black kids, you specifically, I know you have five kids yourself, three of them boys. I only have one. Man, yours is tripled, this, this idea, this thought. Man, what scares you about them growing up here in America? And at the same time, what what gives you hope? You know, it's crazy. I think my children actually actually scared for me. Mm. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, not my dad, but uh, my son, he said, Dad, um, are the police going to kill you? Mm. And uh, I always, like, Miami's a different space than a lot of cities. You know, in Miami, when you get pulled over by the police, the police officer might, might be a Dominican. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a different place, you know what I'm saying? But you, you go north of West Palm Beach, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in an area, uh, not until recently, I didn't know it was like ranked in the top five of most racist places to, in America, but it's mm-hmm. called Fort Myers. And yeah. uh, at Fort Myers, you have white poverty, black poverty, and Hispanic poverty. You have white police officers that aren't from that area. Um, they mm. come down from, you know, any and everywhere in the in like that middle America space to get to get work and to work in law enforcement. And you have such a disparity between understanding and culture mm-hmm. uh, when you have those interactions with police and, and community. You know, just the fact that my son would ask me, you know, Dad, are you going to kill, get killed by the police? And I try to instill in him that, hey, p- police are here to help us. They're here to yeah. serve us. They're, they are, you know, they're people just like you, you and me. And you could actually be a police officer one day. You know, and that's the kind of perspective. But in the back of my mind, we know the history of America. Yeah. I know the history of America. I know how many times I've been pulled over for being black. Mm-hmm. I know how many times I've sat at the red light. And I remember one time I was in the turning lane at the red light. And the police car was like four cars in front of me. There's two turn lanes. He looks in his mirror. He sees me. And I'm four cars behind him. He lets my lane catch up to him once the light turns green. And then he pulls me over. Right. Mm-hmm. I got warrants on the car and all this different stuff that I don't have. But, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, the, you know, being being black, um, you know, riding in cars that look like you paid cash for them because they beat up. Mm-hmm. Looking like you know, just being young and 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 fitting the description of what looks like a, you know, a drug dealer or somebody not up to no good. And I, I tell people all the time, you you pull over anybody in the hood, you are gonna find something, you know, yeah. tax light, something right, something not paid for, because yep. people are living that way. And so when you over police those communities, you increase the amount of interactions 
uh, for things to go bad. You increase the amount of reactions for people actually fearing that they could be incarcerated or or, uh, or have some kind of financial loss by having an encounter with the police or feel like they're not going to be, that they don't have, a, that they won't be upheld in justice, that they yeah. can be lied on, that they can be, you know, have something planted on them or they can have, uh, I've had officer at one, at one point when I was a teenager, I had an officer pull me over in Texas uh-huh. on South Main. I told him, I said, literally, we got in the car and we went across the street to the Wendy's in the adjoining parking lot. Uh-huh. We got pulled over coming out the Wendy's to get back into our apartment, right in front of our apartment gates. And, you know, police put, you know, me on the front hood, put my friend in the back seat, asked him for an hour where the drugs at. We don't want the small drugs. We want the big drugs. Uh-huh. You know, emptied out our stuff. I don't know how many times the car police have emptied out my car and took even 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 as a father now you know taking car seats out the car and taking them apart you know Damn. and there's nothing you've done other yeah. than you know hey there was a robbery in the area we're, we're just covering our heads to, to go through all your stuff to make sure you yeah know, you know having police pull a gun on you having police pull you over in unmarked vehicles you know it, it can it can be you know it could feel like dang you know and for a lot of people, I understand that that's not their experience, mm-hmm. the police, because in certain neighborhoods, the the purpose of the police is to protect and be security for what you have, not to actually incarcerate you. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, so it's two, it, sometimes it feels like two different objectives of police work. In mm-hmm. some neighborhoods, it feels like you, you work for me and, mm-hmm. and you are to, your, your job is to ensure that, mm-hmm. that my safety. In other neighborhoods, it feels like your job is to, not that your job is to, but it feels like the what is happening is I'm being watched for everything that I make a mistake on. And once I make a mistake, I'm going to be incarcerated and I'm yeah. going to be a loss. Yeah. So I think um, that's part of the black experience. I'm a person that's been arrested at, uh, at my college for people thinking that I shouldn't be there. I'm a person that's been arrested in my neighborhood. I've been a person that's been pulled over right in front of my house. You know what I'm saying? I've had, I'm a person that police have put the gun to, a gun to my chest at my job. My gosh. My gosh. I almost got shot at my job one time because somebody thought I was somebody else. Yeah. So, man, so number one, bro, I've, I thought I had issues with, with police and I've, I've got stories, but nothing like that. Nothing like mm-hmm. that. But, man, for, for us as people who, you know, who follow Christ, right? Like even in the midst of, of all that, man, how, how do you, how do you find hope? Cause someone can hear that. And for those who aren't in Christ, right. They hear that. They're like, you you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think the, the number one thing that we can do is each individual person has to realize that they have the opportunity to change stereotypes, to be a difference, to live in a certain way and to use their voice to, call out injustice and, and try to bring about justice. So one, mm-hmm. we all have an active role. We can't just sit back and get discouraged and say, I, I, you know, so many people feel like, man, there's nothing I can do. There's a lot you can do. Yeah. There's a lot you can do. And, and if you can't do it for a lot of people, you know, do for some what you would do for what you would hope to do for a lot of people. You know, so I think one is we need to realize the, the role and, and how we play a role and the action that we can take. Hope breeds optimism, and optimism creates opportunity. When you don't have hope and when you're discouraged, you know, there's nothing you can get out of that but fear. 
I appreciate you for sharing. real. For real. I mean, I think it's helpful as as much as it's hurtful and it grieves me. It's helpful, I think, for our listeners to hear it and understand. It's not some anomaly that gets that just gets sensationalized for the news. It's it's a reality in the hood. It's a reality. And you use the word over police. I mean, I think that's a that's a helpful. I know. And again, I'm not brown skinned, although my hue, according to our guest, she says we're all brown skinned with many hues, which, <laughs> which I think brother. he's super light skinned, <laughs> which I think I think she's probably right. That's what I want to say. That's what it should be. We just light skinned. It's, that's what it is, because we're one race, right? We're one people. With you know, if if we take Dr. Perkins uh, his assertion seriously, but you know, over policing is a good. I, I mean, even for me, and I don't have those stories, right? But I had a lot of friends who did growing up where I grew up. Like it's it's not some anomaly that just gets sensationalized, and I think it's meaningful for our listeners to hear that those experiences as hurtful as they are and as much as it grieves uh, us to hear it and with you to grieve with inner you. City thing. It's a small town thing too. And even, even sometimes more right. small town, it's a little bit more scary. It's, I was, I was just about to say I that I can really in a, in a, in a city. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I grew up in a small town where like it was the proverbial white black side of town. Right. Yeah. And when you would go to said white side of town, that's that's when I've gotten pulled over. That's when I've been pulled out of my car. That's when I've been followed. And it was always like, what are you doing here? Like, you know, always the assumption of, of up to up to no good. It was very scary. Very scary. And my grandmother would always like, hey, where are you going? Tell me where you're going. Call me when you get there. Like all these different things, um, because that was that was just the reality, unfortunately. And you, and your song woke. Right, which right now that word's being used a lot. You you wrote this song long before it became the the current buzzword, and it's used right now a lot in the white skin community, the lighter skin. But but in in that song, you wrap these words, and I'm probably not going to do it as well as you do here, but I'm going to try. All right, so so you wrap these words. A tweet don't mean you won't post on me. You won't get out here and be a mentor. Put your phone down and raise your kid. Be accountable. Keep us accountable. Change how we see each other. You got the power to end the hate. You got the power to kill the rumor. You got the power to make a change. So one, who is the you in those lyrics? I I want our listeners to hear that. I posted these lyrics recently, and I want our listeners to hear who the you is. But then two, what message right now, like if if you were just had a chance to speak to people of my skin color, what message would you want to convey to them? Would you want to communicate to them most right now? Yeah, you know, me as an artist, I try to write. I understand that uh, words can cut multiple ways. And uh, I try to write sometimes to hold my community accountable, uh, to enlighten my community. But then also sometimes I write to uh, raise awareness for other communities that don't even understand yeah. issues. And so... Even in the song Woke, I, I, I speak on social injustice. I speak on system, systemic racism. But in the same, in the same token, I speak on a culture that uh, is predatory towards our own people that we have to denounce. You know? yeah. And so uh, in that song, I said, I said, a tweet doesn't mean that you're woke. So 
just because you get on Twitter and 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 say, okay, I posted something, you know, I'm a part of the cause, you know, uh, nah, uh, that doesn't that doesn't do it. What you need to do is put action behind uh, the thoughts and the sentiment, and, and and align your 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 actions to the sentiment that needs to be yeah. felt across the nation. One of the things now, put your phone down and raise your kid. There's a and I think that goes to both to, to all, all different communities, whether you're right. a parent that needs to put your phone down and be engaged and have conversations with your kids about race, about America, about, you know, what we stand for, what we don't stand for. So you don't allow social media or hate to lead them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or ignorance to lead them. Put your phone down and raise your kid. Be an active uh, in, in involved parent mm-hmm. and then be accountable. You know, <laughs> that, 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 that's enough right there. Yeah. For real. Be a person that can be held accountable. Yeah, and real. Keep others accountable. Change how we see each other, hmm. which is something that is a personal journey, I think, for all of us. Change how we see each other. And, and then it's the call for anybody. You have the power to end the hate. You got the power to kill the, the word is the words are you have the power to kill the root. So where the hate stems from. Got it. All right. And you have so, the power to make a change. Uh, so well, yeah. just to just to give a just to at least try to keep a little bit of a cool factor. Like, I, I thought that's what the lyric was, but when I looked it up, it said rumor, and I was like, people be taking what the heck is that talking about? They be them all up. I look on it, I'm like, that's, I didn't even say that. I ain't say that. I'm like, that don't even make sense. I was like, I was like. I was yeah, like, you got it right the first time. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go, there you go. Yeah. Oh, man, you got to love rap genius, right? Yeah, I go on rap genius, I'm like, bro, who filled this out? Did y'all listen to the song? It's like it's like Siri did it. <laughs> so, yeah, for real, for real. Oh man, no, I love that. I love that. Well, so as a as an artist, uh, primarily in the obviously in the hip hop scene, man, we know that there's a, a a murder rap narrative, right? You know that you know you grew up listening to that. You, what's that? Yeah, we we've been I've been speaking on it a lot lately, especially with um. I, mean, I, I, I I'll let you go. Well, no. So let's <laughs> let's let's speak. If you've been speaking on it, then the the reality is that this, this is going to be perfect, man. So how how did you find yourself navigating out of that? Uh, like, describe for us that season where you just like, man, like this isn't the route that I need to be headed. Yeah, for. you know. So I grew up. So first of all, to even understand what murder rap is, you have to understand mm-hmm. how it even it came to existence. All right. Mm-hmm. So you have gangster rap. And then gangster rap kind of graduated, it like got on steroids, turned into murder rap. Right. And a murder rap is not a, a something that many people are familiar with, but where we're from, in our context, murder rap is what what uh, uh, what serenades the streets. Mm-hmm. So if you stop in any gas station in the hood, you're gonna hear murder rap. Yep. And um, murder rap is it, it was birthed out of you had gangster rap, and then you had gangster rap kind of turned into. It, it just became more and more sensationalized. And because gangster rap became commercial, mm-hmm. you had, and it became commercial. And for a lot of young men in our neighborhoods, that was the only successful black man that you saw. Yep. So what they did in, what they did a little bit of young men trying to make it out of the community, they would do it in excess to think if I, if I did it in excess and that's going to separate me, that's going to, that's going to bring a shock value to what I'm doing to people are going to pay attention to that. And so what happened was murder rap became sensationalized in neighborhoods. I mean, gangster rap became sensationalized in neighborhoods that were predominantly 
poverty and, and what people were seeing, all of that kind of stuff every day. And it became the soundtrack to the streets, you know, and, mm -hmm. and murder rap essentially is this. You got songs that talk about killing and destroying and doing terroristic acts to other black people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, where you have songs like a, and not not to not to demean the artist, but you just gonna call a spade a spade. I grew up yep. the songs was like I'm on some other ish. I'm dressing all black. I'm with my killers. Them somebody getting wag. You know we mean business when I'm in all black. Or you know uh, mm -hmm. we had songs yep. like uh you could put up or you could shut up. Either shut up or get your wet up. Yep. Either, you know what I'm saying or you yep. know uh, you know uh, I'm sitting in your bushes. I'm gonna kill you. You know and um, that yep. became. That became something that we took on as an identity, and and yeah, it's crazy yeah. when you don't have anything. It's so crazy when you don't have anything, don't own anything, don't have any intellectual property, don't have any real property, don't don't have five dollars in your pocket, don't have an identity. So identity that you cling to is that you know what I don't have nothing. We from nothing, and you can't come here or we'll kill you. Yep, and that becomes something to hold on to because you have nothing else to hold on to. I went to prison. That's not something to ever be proud of, but because everybody went to prison, that's a strike. That's a badge of honor. It's like, okay, if I do that, then yep. people are going to respect me. And and I think murder rap upholds those ideals. And uh, and if, if in the same way we need to adjust policing and change so many other things in the communities that, that uphold systemic oppression, gangster rap and, and, and murder rap uphold systemic oppression as well. Man, and keep good. the lines of pr the prison to school pipelines and they keep the mass incarceration uh, epidemic alive and well. Man, so that's yeah. good. I, I, was I was awakened to that, that it was death. I knew it was death um, because that's what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but I was awakened that I, I couldn't, I didn't want that for my life. And I think there's a couple of awakenings as a, as a, as a man. <laughs> One of the things I was, oh, first woke to was just like, look, the way I'm living my life is, is causing me to, to, is just leading me to death. Uh -huh. Then uh, I had a spiritual awakening with, of the gospel. And then I think as a man, you have awakenings, you know, there's a journey where you realize, okay, even as a Christian, I came in on this information. Then I started realizing this information is not right. <laughs> <laughs> the source of this information is very poor or yeah. these people who I've, I've, you know, said, okay, I'm going to take what they, what they say you know, as my doctrine for my life, you start realizing this has no life application. Mm. People lack grace. Mm. Uh, these people lack lack seasoning. Or you find out, man, these people were low-key racist. <laughs> <laughs> and we just took whatever they said and ran with it because they had the most clout at the time, so their thought became predominant. You know, and I think I think there's different awakening levels, but I think uh, you never kind of, you never move past Christ. And I think that's what I love about Jesus. Yeah. It, He's, he's so sound. Praise God. So liberating for, for all people. And I love that. That's what, what moves me. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Well, man, you, you, I've been on Instagram seeing some of the messages you've been putting out. A lot of it has been about identity. It's been trying to challenge, you know, folks, yeah. like you said, even just in your neighborhood. To say, yo, you, you, there's an identity. I mean, you know, there's an identity the cross has secured for you that's freely yours, right? And a friend of mine's a Chinese pastor in Philly, and and he he all he says it this way. His name's Lawrence Tom. He says, even on my worst day, I'm still Lawrence Tom in Christ. 
Mm. Right. And like, like just understanding the security of that identity. I love that you're proclaiming that message. And so one of I know, go ahead, go ahead. It, I would say well, the challenge is, you know, a lot of a lot of times the stumbling block for a lot of either African-Americans or just people in general is that sometimes the stumbling block is white Christianity. Uh. And sometimes like in order for, for that to not be such of a stumbling block, I need I need some pastors to get away from the, the playbook that they've been handed and experience Jesus for themselves. Yes. Wow. And experience Jesus in relation to regular people. Uh-huh. Yep. Real and, talk. Come on. And because I, I think a lot of the times, like what you're preaching from the pulpit and some of the, the things, it's like, it's, you couldn't preach that in Africa. You couldn't preach that in China. You couldn't preach that in the hood. Uh-huh. You know, it's, 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 you're preaching from a place of privilege and, and lack of experience. And, and what it does is it makes people have a distaste for Jesus. Uh-huh. And so I think, I think all of the ways that we do Christianity has to be challenged. And I think all of the ways that culture has, is destroying some of our communities have to be challenged and have to be have to be indicted. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I think, and I, 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 I would go reconciliation to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I think I, I hope our listeners hear you clearly on that because there's something about the way what has been espoused by white Christianity, by North American white Christianity, if we want to call mm-hmm. it out for what it is. There are so many things that, as you said a while ago, you, the, you dig deeper into how the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God collide with the reality of, of our everyday lives. And the stuff just doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. Right. Like it, it, it doesn't work. Right. And, but if you've never if you never live in the middle of that collision, then you don't see that it doesn't make sense. And I, and I think what I think what some leaders need to hear is. Quit coming to every meeting like you know everything, and let's start having real conversations about what the gospel really translates to in my emo- like heart, soul, mind, and strength stuff, right? Like my heart. I, I get it that you can tell me what I need to do, but yeah. but there's so much going on inside my head and my heart that I've got to I've got to reimagine. I've got to let go of. I've got to deal with. I've got to get therapy for. I've got to like on and on and on and on. Uh-huh. Right. And and how to translate the gospel. And I think I hope our listeners hear you when you say that, because you're being kind. If, I, <laughs> if, if you don't mind me calling it out, you're being kind in how you're saying it. And I, I think our listeners need to hear we've got to we've got to examine. We don't need to take at face value what the respected teachers have said. We, we need to respect them just like we would hope they respect us. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, we need to process this through heart, soul, mind, and strength stuff. I mean, that's a big deal. So, yeah. So, Streets Don't Love You 3 is coming out. And on there, you 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 have some great songs. I think one of them is available right now. So, people, our listeners can go listen to that. But explain for our listeners what you're trying to convey in that idea of Streets don't love you or streets ain't got no love because you've got a, a version one version two and version three right, right. so you're emphasizing this right like i it's not what you teach it's what you emphasize so you're mm-hmm. you're emphasizing this yeah definitely right yeah so my goal it, it was, it's hard because when i when i started doing christian rapping i, I know all these dudes i know the kratom i know the fizzles i know the triple e's like i got these guys cell phone numbers we talk we have conversations 
And, you know, there was a point in time, like, when I came into Christian rap, I was on probation the first time I heard Christian rap. I was a teenager on probation, and I somehow heard a Lecrae song. It was called Take Me As I Am. It's a beautiful song. Go Google mm-hmm. Lecrae, Take Me As I Am. And it sounded like some Tupac to me. I was like, oh, it's Tupac? <laughs> Tupac go hard. I ain't never heard Tupac talk about God like this. <laughs> not, like, not like this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then it, I was like, oh, this is a dude named Lecrae. And I'm a, I told Lecrae on the phone, I was like, man, I probably gave you all the streams on that song. <laughs> I listened to that song back to back to back to back to back. And um, now I'm assuming he took it as a little bit of a compliment that you thought it was Tupac. That's just my assumption. Yeah, so. yeah. I think that's what he was going for. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think he was going for something that, that like, yeah, just the element of making music for the urban context. I remember uh, that that was a big motivation for me. Um, I was like, man, I want to I want to make music that that sounds like where I'm from, that has the message of the gospel. In it. And that was just a that was just a young, eighteen year old, you know, saying that's you know something I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. And as I started getting into music and meeting these guys, this is one of the things that these that these guys would tell me is, Rick, man, don't make music for the hood." I was like, hmm. "Why not? That's all I really care about. <laughs> 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 that's what I'm doing. Like, if I can't do that, I would just go make some money somewhere. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> and um, they like uh, you know, the hood don't buy albums." And there was a whole, <laughs> there was a whole shift of Christian rap started making music for the suburban church because mm-hmm. the suburban church was booking, so the suburban mm-hmm. church had budgets, the suburban church was bringing them out, and the suburban church bought and funded Christian hip hop for years. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, when you until, make music, yeah, until, was, until was just, yeah, <laughs> then nobody, I don't care who you are, they buying nobody buying no albums. Yeah, so um. So what happened was you have all these dudes, they start making all this EDM music. They start they, they start saying, I can't say this in my song because this is going to offend some kid in a, in a youth group. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't talk about the experience of being black in America. I can't talk about this, this, and this because then I won't get booked at this church. And literally, you had pastors that would call these guys and say, I, I got you lined up to preach. And you talking about this? I'm not lined up to preach. I got you lined up to come do a concert at my church. And you, you know. I hope you're not going to do that song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so there became like around the time of Michael Brown, it became like yep. this huge divide in Christian rap. And so if you spoke on that, you were not mm-hmm. going to be supported. There was no more money. There was no more shows. And yeah. and for me, that, I, that's the, that's the until I was talking about. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then streaming was happening around the same time too. So you had like mm-hmm. this shift of people not buying physical music. Mm-hmm. And then also like this shift of this huge disconnect between the people who are funding Christian rap and the people who are rapping. Mm-hmm. And, hey, I identify as this. I'm a Christian, but I'm also a black man and I'm living in America and I have my children asking me these questions and I'm experiencing life way different than you do. Mm-hmm. And and if I if I speak on that or if I try to shed light on that or if I try to bring justice to that, you vehemently oppose me. I'll just say that to say that. And so I always felt like my calling and what God was putting in my heart was to, I, that I felt like God gave me the voice to speak to my context because I was actually from it. That's good. Um, and so because he gave me a voice to speak to my context, I, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to even double down on speaking to and educating and enlightening not only my context, but people who don't understand my context because of the issue at hand. 
of the epidemic uh, in the inner city of mass incarceration, of the lack of resources, lack of funding, the poor education, the poor schools, the consistent trauma, all the issues and how the gospel is the solution to it. But I understood I have to do it in a way that the people that, um, that I was trying to um, reach would receive it. And so therefore it sounded very street. And by my message to them that I was reiterating is that the streets don't love you. Mm-hmm. And if you would listen to this album, uh, something that sounds like something very familiar to what you're used to and, and stories that you're used to because they're authentic stories from my life and my heart that you will hear that the gospel is a solution. And so that's why I, I came out with the series. Uh, in, in those series, you hear me speaking very adamantly about social justice, about racism, about police brutality, about the, di- di- the dynamic between police and the community. You hear me speaking about you know, domestic violence. You hear me speaking about all these topics that most Christian artists would say, nah, I'm not gonna speak on that because that's gonna rub for somebody's feathers. Nobody's gonna want to hear me talk about that and I will lose people if I do a, if I do broach those topics. And um, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> My whole life been hard, let's go. <laughs> you know yeah, for real. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, in, in this last project, you know, there's songs that call out the streets uh, for the uh, hypocrisy of, of the street culture. And then there's also songs that call out the, the justice system and, and systemic uh, oppression. And one of those songs is called 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of the 13th amendment is essentially that uh when they freed the slaves they came up with this idea of the 13th amendments which in the, in the amendment it, it speaks on how slaves are free but it also says that if, if you're caught of any crime that you will be subjected to slavery mm-hmm. and so hence the birth of mass incarceration which mm-hmm. is legal slavery in our country in our country we enslave i mean we uh, yeah we enslave we incarcerate uh more people than every other country combined. Yep. And the the percentage of African Americans that are incarcerated uh, is disproportionate to that. You know, so it just shows that literally we've we've turned the, the we have legal slavery in our in 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 our United States and how hard it is to live as uh, in the Black experience in the United States and how easy it is to become incarcerated because of all the social ills and. And, and real problems and struggles and setbacks that you have to overcome, that it almost seems like the only destination for you or that America's plan for the African-American is uh, uh, long-term incarceration. Man, something, something that you mentioned, uh, mass incarceration, we're just hitting on it. Um, but uh, obviously as a social activist, man, prison reform. Uh, I know that's something that you're speaking into, that you're you know seeking to, you know, see some things happen, right? The reality is it's it's a long road. It's hard. It's a <laughs> it's a lot to kind of parse through, man. There's a lot, there's a huge need in prison. There's so many needs in prison reform. I, I have the blessing because I've done a lot of prison ministry with some really amazing guys. Shout yeah. out to 39 in Houston and uh, you know all the facilities that I've, I've had the opportunity to go into and, and work with guys. I've, I've gone in facilities like where I really, literally just like chalk up my whole day to be in the, the prison the entire day. So like I'll get there, we'll play basketball from like 9 a.m. to like 2 p.m. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I'm like in the, I'm in the middle of the prison. Everybody else got, you know, prison clothes on. I got street clothes on. I'm playing yeah. basketball in the prison. And um, I'm playing basketball in the prison. And then we have I'm eating lunch and dinner. 
with the mm-hmm. inmates, you know, and then uh, I'm doing a concert, speaking and praying for people at the end of the night. Man. And uh, just doing things like that has given me so much insight on um, on that culture and that world. And, um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and the things that are needed. To, yeah. To, but, uh, man, there's so many issues because mm-hmm. um, the prison system isn't designed to rehabilitate these guys. Yeah. The rehabilitation portion of the prison system is the most underfunded part. And so I could, I, I just give you a list. I, I have a list here of, of things that are things that are already kind of in play that we just need to bring mm-hmm. uh, enlightenment to. Um, but like one of the, the biggest things is that, you know, if you're not rehabilitating somebody, you're setting them up for what they call recidivism to reoffend. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a lot of times, like even right now, my brother's incarcerated and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the state of Kansas is so much further along than states like Florida and Texas. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, mm-hmm. but I think that, that might be due in part because the Koch brothers invest a lot into prison uh, reform mm-hmm. in Kansas. And that might be due in part because when you go into a prison in Kansas, it doesn't look like a prison in Florida. There's a lot more white men. So maybe they, it, there's, maybe there's a part of dignity that is still exists in Kansas because prison mm-hmm. in there looks like, hey, this is my actual family member that I want to see get better. Wow. This is somebody that I could care less and I have no understanding or don't care to understand their life or their struggles, or yet alone see them be rehabilitated or yeah. tax dollars spent on them. So these are some of the things. Because uh, my brother, he sits there, he just play basketball all day. And then <laughs> anytime somebody has an episode, they just all sit in their cells. Mm. He's been transferred like five times, mm. you know. And when he transfer him, he'll go without communication for like a couple months until he can kind of figure out his situation or find a phone in a in a toilet or something to make a call. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they talked about bringing school districts inside the prison system, especially mm-hmm. for the younger population. Education, expanding the programs uh, where you have, you know, like these apprenticeship programs. So they have a thing called NCCESR Core. Where, but they usually use those programs for guys who are on the two-year and out thing. So, like, if you're close to two years to getting out, then you can finally be in, in a program where you can work on electrician stuff, plumbing, hmm. uh, architecture. And then, um, you know, but I, I would love to see them expand those programs. Those programs are small. Those programs are a lot smaller than how many businesses that they build around the prison. You'll go to these prisons, and the prison will be like this. Mm-hmm. And then all the factories around the prisons where they mm-hmm. have prisoners work all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, man, prisoners are in their building. They're building har- uh, electric electric harnesses that go throughout cars. They're building lawnmower seats. They're mm-hmm. building blades. They're building purses. They're building, you know, backpacks and shirts and, and you know, textiles. And, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And they're getting paid, like, very minimal to, you know. Mm-hmm. You know and, and all that stuff is being spent on canteen and, phone and, and, and toiletries and mm-hmm. so I think expanding those things giving them kind of fair pay setting them up I, one, one of the things that really blew my mind I said man look at all this stuff that they're teaching you two years out of your sentence yeah right so you got guys that are like 36 39 40 50 55 and they're in their last two years of their sentence they're finally learning a trade mm-hmm. and and they're getting paid like let's say they're paying them six dollars an hour, eight out eight dollars an hour. Let's say they're paying them eighty cent a day, mm-hmm. right? Who knows? Some it, it fluctuates, but let's say, man, 
I know that this job building a harness for this car, which is some very technical stuff, that if you were to teach a guy this at 17, 18 years old, and you built this same factory, not in a prison, but you built this in, you know, in Brownsville, Miami, you'd have to pay a dude $26, $29 to do this type of work. Yep. And if you gave guys opportunity, opportunities that they were learning something at 17, 18, 19 years old to start making $26, $29, you wouldn't see them incarcerated. Right, right. And so I think we have to build those type of programs on the on the outside. And that's why I'm very much into uh, what they call juvenile reentry programming. And we actually secured down here in Miami uh, to do NCCESR core courses for our kids on probation and kids coming out of the jails and kids coming out of long-term residential facilities. So that yeah. give them because I because I was in those prisons saying, okay, I I made that connection in my head. I said they need it before they go to prison. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's the created down here, and I want to see that build out. But you know, uh, marketable job skills programs for for guys when they get out for you know they have substance abuse programs in there that needs to be expanded but also that that continues on the outside guys need you know full-time caseworkers once they get out you know um, they need incentives to stay out you know uh, and then they need more opportunities to that uh support them on the yep. outside rather than make them feel like man i didn't get a job in enough time you know and there's a lot of programs you know you have like um salvation army has a amazing programs for guys when they get out of jail and like mm-hmm. halfway situations. But, you know, I think if you speak to the, some of those people who work in those Salvation Armies and different stuff and say, Hey, what are the, what is plaguing these guys? And they say, okay, it's X, Y, Z that's stopping a guy from doing this and going back. Well, that's the things that need to be funded. It's just conversations that we need to have and put our mind towards the things that actually work. Yeah. That was the long, long way around that question, but no, no. it's not. It's good. No, listen, man, we, we want, we want the details. We want to know what's going on because the reality is, man, a lot of our listeners, man, they are just not aware. They don't know. It's a, it's an aspect of reconciliation uh, that people don't take into consideration. Right. It's so many little things that people just, you know, you people get in the, you know, they'll be propagated to mm-hmm. and they'll go, Oh, those people are just doing this and they're doing that. They're sucking up, you know, food stamps, and sitting at their house, it's like, first of all, you have to understand, to get food stamps, you have to show your check stubs a good job that you have. You don't get yes, it. You don't way. just get it. Yes. Right. And then if there's if there's too many working, able bodies in your home and, not, and they don't have a job, then you are disqualified. Qualified. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So it's not like people just sitting at their house going, oh, I'm collecting a check. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, Right. Yeah. And again, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's what they've at least heard or what's been indoctrinated in that then they're not looking to do the research for themselves to work for themselves, man. Can and I say something strong. else real? Can I say something yeah. else real? This is real, real. You know, I, I had some, I had some guys that are like, man, I just get so frustrated watching the news, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, any channel. I just mm-hmm. feel like nobody's being truthful. Everybody's, you know, pitching from their bias and they're just, they're making it feel, I just feel all this racial tension, just, just being just rude. And it's like, bro, you have to understand racism is a big part of the political system. Yes. They need racism to stay alive. It keeps the voter lines crystal clear. Yep. I need my voter base to think you are a scum, sit at the house, collect the check. I need this voter base to say all of them people are racist. They don't care. Da, 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 da. They're the, totally different from you. I need you to think they're different from you 
And so therefore racism keeps us a strong voter base. And then so we only have to really battle for the, those middle ground people, which isn't mm-hmm. a, a huge percentage of the voters. Right. I right. mean, I can at least bank on them because I propaganda to them that uh, this is how they ought to vote. And yeah. they should think beyond that. That's why I, I, I like guys like Fred Hammond, who was murdered in his home. There's a film coming out about him. I think it's going to be very liberating for a lot of people. Yeah. But Fred Hammond was a Black Panther who understood mm-hmm. that Virginia, uh, coal miners in West Virginia had similar plights to African-Americans in Chicago. Yep. Hmm. And yep. he brought the two organizations together, and they marched together. Yeah. They rallied together. And they made a lot of noise. And then very shortly after, Fred Hammond is murdered in his apartment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because they realized this dude's going to bring people together when we're trying to divide them. Yeah. Yep. I, I, that's just part of my DNA, my story. I'm mixed. I grew up in a white trailer park, and I've also lived in the projects. Mm-hmm. And um, I it was able to see that, man, in all of this hate, there's if we actually had a conversation, we have a lot more in common. Yeah, man, that's good. That's so good, man. And I think, I mean, you hit it right there. I mean, that that's we're believing all the crap that we're being told in, in these various sensationalized mediums, instead of really looking someone in the eyes, instead of really getting a chance to say, even close to honest media till after the election. Cause you got to think, I mean, they're not going to pull back now. They got to double down. They got to double down. <laughs> they got to double down. It's got to, it's going to ramp up. It's only going to ramp up. Yeah, I'm not going to come off now and say, oh, he's actually kind of right. You know, <laughs> we need to be in a little bit more in the middle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not happening. Not going to happen. Maybe after November. Who knows? Depending on how November goes. Yeah, that, it, it, it could get it could get uglier. Or real it could uglier. Get, or it could just get less ugly. Like, like we could. Yeah. Less Very ugly. That's right. To be determined. To be determined. That's right. Well, hey, as we're, I think that's we're why around. everybody's trying to go out and get their gun right now. <laughs> Second Amendment. I don't know what's happening after November. <laughs> right. I had a guy. He was like, "Yeah, I bought this gun for like nine thousand dollars. It's got like a, it's like a shotgun that shoots automatic." I'm like, "Bro, what are you preparing? What are you preparing for? Why you got that?" <laughs> and then I was like, "We had a kid's birthday party right now. Why is this the?" Yeah, why are you telling me this? <laughs> We're like standing by the pinata. He's like, yeah, but this is what I got. He shows me his phone. He's like, that boy right there. Yeah, that's a bad boy. I'm like, bro, what? Could you imagine all the candy coming out with that? For real, he, he can <laughs> annihilate the pinata. That would have been something right there. As we're wrapping up, thank you. Thank you for not only the insights, the perspective, I feel like we could talk another hour or two and 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 hopefully you'll be gracious with us and allow us to bring you back on another time soon. But you know, I I I really would love to hear just simple suggestions. Like some of our listeners are taking new steps, some are taking next steps. What's a simple thought that you would leave them with as we're thinking about this? reimagining our American future together, hoping for oneness and reconciliation and the long road of what it would take to cultivate for them. If I could say anything, uh, if somebody would listen, 
hey, a lot of the stuff that you learned, just reevaluate it through the cross. That's good. Reevaluate it through the cross. And, you know, sometimes you got to remove your bias. We all, it's hard for all of us to avoid our own bias. Even as Christians, we have bias. Our bias is Christ is the solution. You know, I think we need to rethink things. In any area where we feel challenged or, or it's tough for us, that might be an area that God's trying to develop in us. We have to find ways to love people. We have to find ways to go on, to go out beyond our means to, to find solutions. And mm-hmm. we cannot be passive, especially at this time uh, in our life. And you do have, like, you might feel like, what, who am I? What can I do? I can't make a difference. You can. You can. You, and you will. That's good. Hmm. Well, well, Rec, man, we, we appreciate it, bro. I know, man, you're on, you're on social media. I know people yeah, can yeah. follow you just, just to make sure. Reconcile, at Reconcile Us. Uh, reconcile us. You know how many right. times I get introduced to concerts like, all right, and coming to the stage. Reconcile us. Reconcilious. Who is that? Who that? <laughs> oh, man. Nah, reconcile us. Yes, reconcile us. Two, two words, but, but put together. Yep. You're also on the website as well. I am reconciled.com. Yep. I am right? reconciled.com. Yep. My guy, my guy. Thank you well, for your time. Hey, likewise, man. We greatly appreciate it. We greatly appreciate it. God bless y'all. Likewise. Hey, you too, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining in on the Reconciliation Conversation. Remember, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Recon Combo. You can also stay connected with us through our website, reconciliationconversation.com, or feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel under No More Night Media. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.